Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable podcast. I am your host today, Jake Jackman, standing for Kev, who's had a convenient week off around the North London derby. So I'm not sure what he was expecting to happen, but it wasn't as bad as he probably thought. But anyway, um, if you want to reach the show, you can get us on uh, Twitter at EPL Roundtable or at email, EPL Roundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Zach. You can find me on Twitter at ZachFaster underscore for any Liverpool news. And I'm Dan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore Jersey underscore Fitz for Arsenal news and dog pictures when we inevitably concede five goals a game. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, We're just going to start on the North London derby. Um, I've not given you a heads up on the topic, but I just wanted to get both of your guys' thoughts, Dan in particular, but also Zach as a supporter of a top six club. Uh, What do you think of both teams? Um, Do you think that either of them are are getting close to uh, to Liverpool? And Manchester City, probably not, but and in uh, comparison to Chelsea and Manchester United as well. Where do you think these two rank? Because I think that these two are, uh, are sort of expected to finish in the top four. Do you think that, that they are going to be that far ahead of Chelsea and Manchester United? And do you think either of them will get close to the top two? Yeah, I definitely think um, Tottenham and Arsenal are the two third and fourth teams. Which way round you'd have them at the moment, I've no idea. Um, I don't think either club took great strides towards getting towards the top two over the summer. Um, and I think the the derby uh, today emphasises that. Both teams are sort of like a box of frogs at the moment. Um, Tottenham can go 2-0 up and blow it, whereas Arsenal can go two down and then suddenly just lay siege to a, to a decent team in Tottenham for the whole of the second half uh, and look like winning it towards the end. So um, in my, I definitely think they're the third and fourth best teams. I think... Um, United under um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still don't have any kind of philosophy or identity and the fact that Daniel James who was probably not expecting this much time at the start of his career with United is currently their best player um, kind of puts into perspective what position United are in and Chelsea um, under Lampard I think are in a similar position uh, it is it is cool on their behalf that they're sort of bringing in young players like Abraham and Mason Mount but for now I don't think uh, either of those teams have got sort of the firepower to to beat what um, Tottenham and Arsenal currently have and that is excellent forward lines which can get you quite far especially in the top four race uh, yeah I think it's pretty clear that um, we're not getting anywhere near the top two, neither Arsenal nor uh, Tottenham. Um, with, and I think the early season signs uh, out of Manchester United and Chelsea have been encouraging for us making to- us both making top four. Um, I'm not sure who's better at the moment. Uh, gut says Tottenham, just because I think, especially if Ericsson stays, which at this point I haven't seen any links uh, away from him. And he, there's only so much time left, so I'm assuming he will. I think they just have a better team. Uh, with a better manager. So, you know, that tends to 
end with good results. Um, so I'd expect them to finish third, but that could change. Uh, and I just I don't think um, Chelsea need to really add it this season. Uh, Chelsea just do not have a lot of attacking talent. Like, look at that front three. Um, as Tammy Abraham has been great, and he could really turn into a very good striker. Um, but they just don't have a lot of talent up top, and their defenses looked pretty shaky, which was supposed to be the strong part of their team. Um, it's early, so that could change, but I'm not sure. Not entirely confident in Frank Lampard, but it will. And United have, again, they just lack attacking talent, and they have a really bad manager who's not going to be able to make up for it. So I'd be very surprised um, if they really compete for the top four unless Arsenal just completely fall off a cliff and are at like 60 points at the end of the season. And that's kind of the only way I see either um, Chelsea United making it at this point. Yeah, I think with uh, Chelsea and Manchester United, the most interesting thing for me is just that the, the calibre of their opposition hasn't even been that high. I mean, Chelsea dropped points to Sheffield United. Uh, I think they're li- a little bit underrated, but that's probably a game they should win. Manchester United beat Chelsea at home. That's a, a big win. But since then, I think they haven't won any of the three of their games. Have they? They've drawn to Wolves and they've obviously uh, lost to Palace and then drew to Southampton. I mean, they're not the toughest of games. So the fact they're dropping points there uh, is, a, is a good thing. Um Tottenham uh, lost last weekend to Newcastle, but I, I think on the whole they do look a little bit stronger. So I think that's probably fair. Um, it's still only four games, so it, it's early to judge. But I think uh, you know it's probably going to be those two finishing inside the top four, unless maybe Manchester United go out and get a better manager in. I think that's the only way I can see that happening. I don't think Lampard's going to get a sack, get the sack this season, regardless of how he does. So I think it is uh, Manchester United and Solskjaer, and I think that he's probably. If if they're really thinking smart and you know protecting their brand, they should probably go and find a better manager because uh, I don't think he's quite the the man to to get them back on top. I saw somebody mention on social media over the weekend that they thought he might be a good director of football, which, which I thought was again was quite funny. They just seemed Why? desperate to give him. They just seemed desperate to give him a role in the club. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, luckily you know you don't have a great track record of being smart recently so let's hope yeah. that continues yeah <laughs> this this is the thing with united it's just poor decisions from the top down um when liverpool really got the right together and started actually making good strides forward which is basically from the same position that united are in now uh it you just got to put all sentiment out the window regarding sort of like ex-players being in these kinds of roles and your decisions have to be good at every level. So we're literally talking right down to the morale of the dinner ladies, like in the canteen. You need you need everything: spawn, nutritionists, sports scientists, you know, recovery. And then you've got to build that harmony in the squad. You need to get the right characters in. Your transfer business has got to be dead on. And United just isn't. And none of the things that I've just said seem to be um, at the right level either for a club as big as United. I think they're just in a listless place at the moment nothing they, they can't make a right decision everyone made fun of liverpool for bringing in a throwing coach and that would be like the most encouraging decision united made in like three years <laughs> if they were to do that yeah i, d- I don't think that the, the decision makers at old trafford are, are going to worry the likes of liverpool and manchester city uh anytime soon uh it, it's like the the constant you know social media hype over Wan-Bissaka making all these tackles when if your right back's making 10 plus tackles a game it's not really a good thing is it so it's some of the analysis and the, just the general stuff about Manchester United is just weird so yeah I, I won't be worried about them if, if I was a Arsenal or Tottenham fan or you know especially a Liverpool or Manchester City fan they're just leagues ahead of them at the moment which is strange as somebody growing up that's always seen Manchester United at the top but yeah 
they're going to have to do what Liverpool have done and rebuild. I just don't think they've got the people there to do that. But moving on, a team that might, you know, struggle, uh, a team that might um, get into the top six or at least can cause some uh, problems as we, as we go on in the season and have already caused problems for Chelsea this season were Leicester City. I think they've had a really good start to the season. Um, obviously invested very well in, in a lot of young players that have, have come in and done excellently. T. Elmans this weekend obviously got a goal and assist. Maybe should have got sent off, but he's a player that is just really, really good and, and a player that some of those top six clubs should have been looking at this summer. Um, they're unbeaten at the moment. They're sort of the team that everyone's tipping to get into that top six. Do you guys think that they've got the the ability to do that? Um, and do you think that they will um, finish in that top six this season? I think it's definitely a possibility. They've, they've got some exciting players. Uh, as you mentioned, the one that, that comes straight to mind is Chelemans. Um, I really wanted Liverpool to sign him a couple of years ago, especially like when Monaco got him for like twenty-four million or something like that, which seemed to snip at the time. Obviously, didn't didn't quite work out for him there. Um, but yeah, he he looks a really good talent. <laughs> the, the issue of as a Liverpool fan, the the most relatable thing in with the Leicester story at the moment is the fact that it's Brendan Rodgers as the manager at the moment which is there's this definitely still massive question marks over Brendan Rodgers ability as you know to build a, a, a squad and a side for, for like sort of like more than one season I mean obviously when Liverpool went close to the league like five years ago that was literally built on one player in my opinion which was Suarez and when he went to Celtic all the cards were in his favour so it is. I suppose it is actually quite nice to see that Rodgers has got them into third position after after these um, early games. They've definitely got some talented players. You know, still got Chilwell there, and Vardy's just Vardy, isn't he? He's just just effective. Um, I think I think if if anyone's going to drop out of the top six, it, it, uh, we've already mentioned it probably would be Chelsea. I mean, they just with with the the transfer ban and and the lack of firepower from losing the best player in Hazard. Um, it's just, and they're not. They don't look great at the back either. Let's be honest. Like you said, they've they've not had difficult fixtures. Um, Sheffield United on paper probably should have won that game. Um, so yeah, I think they could finish in the top six, but it just depends how you know. They just need a bit of luck with injuries. I mean, they already proved that it can happen once when they won the league, like however many years ago. So um, it's definitely possible. It'd be a great story if they could finish in the top six. Definitely. I mean, how. Could Lampard really survive finishing outside the top six? Yeah, I know it's I know he's got like a free hit this season, but but seriously, is Robin Abramovich gonna gonna let that happen? That would be a big story. I think they have a shot, but I think it's more because of probably Chelsea um, than their own. Not that they're bad, obviously. And I think Brendan Rodgers. I don't think he's a top four manager, but I always kind of thought of him as a Europa League level manager, and that would be where he'd be getting Leicester. Um, so I think he's. I think he can do that. Um, I think that their biggest issue this season, um, as they've only they've scored six, conceded three so far this season, and they just don't have that much firepower outside of Vardy if he goes down. Um, I think then they're relying on Harvey Barnes, who could be good, but um, yeah, he's shown decent signs. He's already scored at least once this season. Um, but I think their lack of firepower could end up costing them uh, that sixth-place position come the end of the season, but Chelsea may also just be so bad that um, they can finish there with, like, low 60 points. Um, I think they can get there, and I could see Chelsea dropping enough points to allow them to get there. I think also, just to jump in, if James Madison has has a really big season for Leicester as well, that, that could be 
a big factor for them. Uh, he, I really rate, I really rate Madison. Um, I think he could go for like sixty million to another like English, especially like a city who like sort of need, well, need in inverted commas English players, um, for that for the quarters. So yeah, I think I think they definitely got shot. I think on paper they're probably better than Everton as well, to be honest. Despite the money that Everton have spent in the last few years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Everton do weird stuff. Like they've they've have, they're so inconsistent with their moves. Some of them are genuinely good, and some of them are just like, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I think Leicester have a more competently built squad. So I'd agree. The main thing for me with uh, Leicester is if, if you compare them to Everton, it, it, they've just been brought up. Um, Leicester, they go and get a world record fee or for a defender for Harry Maguire. Um, they don't go and waste that money on a Lewis Dunk or a, a Nathan Ake when they've been quoted 50, you know, 40, 50 million for them. They've just, you know, put faith in the squad. They knew that they've brought in Sion Chu. They've, they've backed him. They thought he can come in and do a job in, in the interim. And then, you know, later on we can find a, a young defender that could come in and take Maguire's spot. Like that forward thinking um, at club is just quite rare in the Premier League. It's just people yeah. the club are so desperate to go and spend money. Um, Regularly, just, lie. yeah. I th- I thought I thought Rogers would go out and spend that money straight away. I will be honest. I thought he was going to throw that eighty million at the first English player that winked at him, <laughs> but he didn't. So I don't know if there's someone else at Leicester who's got a bit of power and sort of like dissuaded him from doing that, or whether he's actually turned a corner because that was definitely like a blind side for him um, in the past. One hundred percent, that was a blind side when he was at Liverpool. So. That would be interesting to see going forward, as you say, sort of like making the right decisions and, and building a, a squad naturally rather than just seemingly throwing whatever money they have at it like Everton have been doing. So, yeah, I, that's a good point. I agree with that as well. And while I do think Rogers is a good manager, I don't think he's going to be transfer markets. So, yeah, keep him as far away from that as possible. Um, and good they didn't go and throw 80 mil at Lewis Dunk. Good for good for him. All that said, I didn't love the Iowa Paris transfer, but, yeah, oh well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. 
Yeah, it's very much like the Spanish Fabio Barini, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> he, he is very much a Brendan Rodgers signing, so I'm not surprised that he uh, he, he went for him. Uh, and he hasn't looked too good in his early games. But as somebody who's watched a lot of Perez, uh, he goes through these spells and he will frustrate. But I think that he will he will go on good runs. So uh, it's thirty million. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Yes. it's a lot of money. So yeah. you, you couldn't find anyone in Europe better for that price tag. Really? Yeah. It, it is a lot of money. I don't think any other club would have paid that for him. But, you know, they've, they've got money back from Maguire, so they're, they're kind of in credit in that respect. They probably just gave Rodgers that one sign. And, um, Hopefully it's the one. Yeah. <laughs> five. Let's hope so. Uh, but just moving on to uh, Manchester City, obviously top of the league, Sergio Aguero now leading the, the league in goals after four weeks. He's got six. Um, just, I just, I've always just felt Sergio Aguero has been underrated in the media, social media, everywhere. I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves. He was just looked down since he's come into come into England. He's got 23 league goals, um, then 12, then 17, 26, 24, 20, 21, 21, and already on six after four games. He's just an absolute goal machine. Uh, and you see that everyone's talking about Salah. They're talking about... Um, Sterling, uh, Bamiyang, uh, they all get a lot of, you know, hype about being the league's best player, or at least the league's best goal scorer. Not quite sure if, if Sergio Aguero is the best, but just the consistency he's shown over a number of years. Um, you know, in that time, he's seen Suarez come and go. Um, he's seen Hazard come and go. He, it's just the consistency. Um, it helps playing for City, but I just think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Do you think that he is a little bit underrated in this country? Yeah, Aguero's definitely underrated in this country. Um, he's a, hasn't he only been in one PFA team of the year? Yeah, and and he's as you've just said, he scored like seventeen goals at the very least in six or seven seasons in a row. Um, he, he's absolutely. I think one of the th- one of the reasons why he's, he's he's underrated is because he's out injured quite a bit, or he was in, out injured quite a bit, and now that Pep's coming, he's rotated quite a lot. Probably, probably to his um, probably that's probably a positive because it keeps Aguero fitter, like for when he does get to play. Um, I think that's that's got to be part of the reason for it. But there's literally no other reason to um, to not rate Aguero. He's literally amongst one of the best Premier League players of all time for me. Like he's one of the only players it, it, in terms of players that I feared all the time. It was Hazard who has finally gone. And Aguero was the other one. Every time, even though he's never scored at Anfield, I feel like every time he's got the ball, something is literally around the corner. He's absolutely lethal. And obviously, like I say, it helps playing for City, but you're not going to be posting those kind of numbers playing for Sunderland or bloody, you know, whoever else. So, yeah, he's he's absolutely brilliant. And I think this is a this is a problem with a lot of with um I think it's like the age of like social media and stuff like these players are somewhat underrated because it's I don't know what's the word it's sort of like funny or whatever and uh, I think I was going to say it's sort of like funny to have like the opposite opinion so like people will be saying like Salah's not like a world class player even though this guy scored forty four goals in like one season. And then has continued that trend, obviously a slightly lower level, but even so, still absolutely destroying defences. And I think Aguero has been a massive victim of that. He's absolutely world class. If I'm not going to lie, I'm very, very surprised someone like a Barcelona hasn't come in for him or something. But maybe, maybe that's to do with the wages he's on or sort of like the fitness record in the past. But yeah, he's. I think he's absolutely phenomenal, and he is underrated. 
he's clearly been overlooked um, throughout his career in terms of awards. Um, the PFA stat is the biggest uh, indicator of that. Uh, I think it's kind of like people just expect Aguero to put up 20 goals, and so it almost goes unnoticed when he does, um, which is almost a testament to his quality, but then it also means he kind of can get overlooked at times. Um, and maybe it's because he, I don't know, just, quote-unquote, just scores goals. He's not really like a dribbler or something, which, I mean, who cares? He's so good at scoring goals, and that's the most important thing in the sport. So, um, yeah, I'd say he's generally throughout his career has been pretty underrated. Um, I don't exactly have my thumb or my finger on the pulse of where everyone is rated in the Premier League right now, but he has to be one of the top players, and he's clearly one of the top players of all time. Like, Just look at how many goals he scored and look where he ranks on the lists of goal scorers, and especially even with the injuries, that's kind of taking his number, his minutes down, so his goals-per-minute ratio is insane. I don't have it on hand, but I know it's ridiculous, one of the best of all time. Uh, so, yeah, he's clearly been underrated in terms of awards he has been given, um, and that would indicate he's underrated throughout just the country. It's like he's not even, like, the best player in his team a lot of the time, though. Like, they went through that period of, of da- uh, Kevin De Bruyne being the, the highest-rated City player. It's kind of moved to Raheem Sterling now, maybe a little bit of uh, national bias there, where he's playing in England, and, and Raheem Sterling is just one of the best players this country has produced in recent times. But it, it is just very strange. It's one that I've never really understood. And just, again, this season, um, you know, it's a couple of years ago they were talking about how he was, you know, getting on, uh, and he wasn't quite... Um, doing what Pep wanted him to do, um, but he's now 31 and he's just still producing such high numbers for in this team. It it helps playing for City, of course it does, but, I mean, play, even playing in a good team, you just have to respect what he produces and he is just generally one of the best players in the Premier League era, I guess. I, I think he's probably up there in, in even at the age of 31, he's probably got an outside chance of getting close to Shearer's record. He probably won't get there, but he's going to get very close and, it might only be when he stops playing that people really appreciate the the talent and the, just the consistency um, that he has provided. Um, but just moving on to uh, the part of the show where we, where we ask each of our guests questions about their club. Uh, we will start with Zach, obviously with Liverpool. Um, a question I've got um, is kind of based on fantasy football. I've got the big thing about Liverpool keeping clean sheets. That might have been a, a big thing of last season. Um, obviously kept your first clean sheet at the weekend. Do you think that the Liverpool defence, is there anything to worry about there? Do you think that the injury to Alisson has had a big impact or do you think it's just early on in the season? It's just something that, that people are picking up on Liverpool just because there's nothing else to criticise really where you, you are four out of four. <laughs> um, this is this is sort of like a hot topic, so I feel like I do have a lot to say on this. <laughs> I think there's a lot of factors sort of um, creating a storm around how vulnerable Liverpool look at the minute. The first one is the fact is is the shortened preseason. Um, you know, people like Van Dijk only came back like a week before the season started. Um, let's say the season started with the Community Shield. They, they came back a week. He came back a week before that. So some some of the players didn't start at full fitness. Um, that's obviously the same for the forwards as well, and and most of the other top top teams in the league. In all fairness, um, obviously the second factor is the is the Allison injury. He, he in my opinion he's the best goalkeeper in the world, and to get injured in the first game was a massive blow, um, especially being since we'd only signed Adrian like two days before. So what sort of preparation could he have sort of 
you know, undertaken at Liverpool to sort of get him into the right shape and the sit and the right system understanding. And then the, I think the main point is that with the introduction of VAR in the Premier League, um, Liverpool's line, sort of defensive line, has been it's at least ten yards high, maybe five yards, but it's definitely higher, um, so that we can compress the field of play. So the so our pressing game is a much more potent creator for us. We can sort of nick the ball. Fabinho is having an absolute field day with tackles at the moment. He's just abs- he's just raking the tackles in. Um, which is obviously not ideal because you'd rather have lower tackles and have more of the ball. But in terms of sort of his role, it's it's becoming a lot easier for him because he's having to cover less distance to get to people. Um, so that new system is sort of playing havoc on on two in two sort of directions. The first being it's it's obviously a new system and it takes time to adapt to it. And the second one is because we're playing the higher line because of VAR teams are getting in behind us and the biggest example of what I'm about to say was in the Super Cup teams are getting behind us and sort of having like chances and goals disallowed because they're because we're catching them offside and that sort of like gives in my opinion a false impression that Liverpool are under loads of pressure so if you rewatch the, if obviously none of us are going to do that but if you were to rewatch the Super Cup final against Chelsea um, I think Liverpool had seven shots on target to two of Chelsea's, but everyone said it was a really, really, really even game. But it, in my opinion, it was because Chelsea had two goals ruled out for offside because Liverpool executed their defensive line correctly, and um, at least two of their chances where they were in behind and it caused you know like a bit of a bit of mayhem were offside as well. So, in my, I've heard loads of fans saying it. You hear it all the time. You see it on Twitter. You hear it at work. Whatever. And it, people people looking to nitpick that all oh, Liverpool look a bit vulnerable this season, and I don't I don't think we are more vulnerable. I think it's a combination of those four factors. So VA, uh, VAR getting introduced, um, people coming back late, and then the new the new defensive line, and sort of like this false impression where whereby it looks like teams are always getting in behind us, but they're actually offside. And there's actually been at least two occasions in the last two games where. Southampton and Burnley have got in behind Liverpool and the linesman has allowed the attack to go on and then it's gone for a corner. So rather than it being VAR because obviously it didn't result in a goal, it's just gone on. It's, it, it, they were offside and it's just gone on and not been reviewed. So Liverpool's line was actually completely correct, but it's resulted in sort of like a Southampton corner and a Burnley corner, which obviously may lead to a chance. So it looks like Liverpool under more pressure. So, in 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 conclusion, for me, Liverpool aren't more vulnerable than they were, and that's that's with Adrian in there as well. So when Allison comes back and sort of everyone's more settled, I think you'll see Liverpool racking up the clean sheets again. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about them. I think that there there haven't been a lot of big chances created um, over the first four games. I think just just. A, you know, conceding those three goals obviously just blemished it a little bit. And if you add in the Community Shield and the Super Cup, there were five games without a clean sheet. But these things average out over a season. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't be too worried either. Uh, just moving up to the other end of the pitch now, um, we saw Sadio Mane come off yesterday. There's a bit of a heated <laughs> on the bench, to say the least. I know there's been a lot of talk yeah. on, on the social media about it. It seems to have been brushed off most uh, mostly now. Uh, do you think that that's anything to worry about, or do you think it's just like a, a positive sign that he's he's so upset? Not to, I, it's difficult, isn't it? But it, it, for me, I, I I think 
in the the social media age and the just the overreacting. I think there's just a lot of overreacting to it, and it's just probably quite yeah. a healthy thing for a professional to be doing um, at the time. Yeah. So, were you worried about it, or do you think it's absolutely fine? <laughs> no, I wasn't worried about it. I, I was. I would have been more worried about the the whole situation if the game was nil nil and Salah hadn't passed. Um, I think there was a, a point like twenty minutes earlier as well, whereby he could have passed to Firmino. Uh, but he ch- chose to shoot with his right foot, which we all know is is really weak. Um, so I think it was just a combination of both those things. Um, if it had been 0-0, then yeah, it's a worry because Salah's been greedy at the detriment of the team, but it's 3-0. He's created the most chances in the game, which was four. And he, out of the front three, he passed the ball 32 times. Firmino passed the ball 32 times. And Mane passed the ball 29 times. So it's not as if Salah was getting the ball from the corner flag and dribbling all the way up to Burnley's net and then shooting. Um, it was... Um, it's a storm in a sea cup. I think Mane is just a bit annoyed because, you know, he's a competitive guy and he's got an elite mentality. He he wants to score. He wants to like, he wants to get assists. He wants to win. Um, and he, he obviously just saw a chance for him to score. And if Salad if Salad uh, would have taken it past the defender and scored, he wouldn't he wouldn't have blinked. Um, but yeah, as you say, the social media thing blows it up. I've seen um, Liverpool sort of um, like news accounts or whatever we're calling them like doing polls on Twitter saying, are we team Mane or are we team Salah? And it's just like, come on. <laughs> it's it's literally a storm in a teacup. It's not, it's not even news. Um, if anything, like Klopp's reaction was perfect. He was just, he just like turned around to Mane and just saw that he was like still shouting and just ended up laughing at him. And then Firmino was sort of like tugging him by the ear and, you know, trying to cool him down. And moving on to Arsenal now, obviously they're the big game today. Got back to draw two all after being two 0 down. Um, I guess some positive to take from it, but um, also a game that they maybe could have won if they're a little bit more clinical. Um, Dan, what were your thoughts on the game, and um, what were your thoughts on on the starting selection? Because I know you had a, a few things to say about that before recording. Uh, yeah, the game was. Interesting, because the second half is probably the best we've played all season. In fact, not probably, it is. Um, we haven't been particularly convincing in the first three games, uh, three and a half games even. Um, and we were really good in the second half, really, really good. Um, but that, you know, we didn't have to be as good as we were in the second half if we were just better in the first half. Um, and I do not think the team selection was great. I was really surprised Tobias wasn't starting. Um, I would not have started Xhaka. And he did that whole Ziaka thing where he dove in for no reason and gave away a penalty, which wasn't great. And honestly, possibly almost as big a deal, if not a bigger deal, was um, playing Lucas Torreira where he was played is just absolutely pointless. Um, uh, if you go back and watch the game, there were a few, uh, at least three or four times that stuck out in my head where he would get the ball and to try and progress on the counter. It was just not his game at all. and ended up having to turn around, pass backwards or square and just killed breaks um, and when he's sitting out on the right, um, he wasn't like a right winger or anything, but he's right central midfielder. Um, when he's not as deep as he needs to be, he isn't as good defensively, which is what he's good at and what he brings to the team. When he's not bringing that, he's not bringing much else. Um, so I didn't really agree with that. Uh, the front three didn't really work, and I'm kind of concerned because I don't really know how it's going to work because pushing Aubameyang wide is infuriating because he's clearly the best striker on the team. And I understand some of the thinking, um, I'm all for like getting as much talent on the pitch as possible, but I just don't think I'm not sure what Lacazette brings is worth pushing Aubameyang wide to a position where he's just not that good in. And I think he actually did his job reasonably well at right at um, on the left, but he just 
that's not really worth it when you can have one of the best strikers in the world up top um, instead. Um, so I'm not sure I blame Emery for that. Pers- I guess I blame him a little, but not as much because I can kind of understand the thinking there. Um, not starting Ceballos and starting three DMs and just no one to link the attack and defense together and midfield together even was just uh, not even surprising, which is almost bad, but it's not surprising, but it just wasn't good and it didn't didn't work. So that's not great. Um, ultimately, a draw isn't a terrible result and considering we were 2-0 down like i'm happy it's not a loss but ultimately that's a game we would really like to win um and it may come down where it's not necessary that we needed to win it by the end of the season but it also could be looked back on as two points that we really could have gotten and um might bite us meat in the butt uh come the end of the season i don't know we'll see yeah and a question i've got on your defense um just a quick one on, on the fullbacks. Obviously, you brought in Tierney. He hasn't played yet. Um, Bellerin's going to be back at some point. Do you think that you are going to go forward with Bellerin and Tierney as the fullbacks? Because um, I've actually been quite impressed with Maitland Niles. Maybe it's just because the left side has been noticeably weaker that I've just been impressed with him. But I think he's been fine. Do, do you think that it is going to be Bellerin and Tierney coming back? Uh, and if so, what sort of role do you think Maitland Niles plays once that does happen? Oh, yeah, Maitland House has been good. Um, I do think it will be Bellerin and Tierney when uh, they come back. I'm not sure what role he'll play other than maybe just, um, I mean, kind of the role he's played all, all his career so far, which is just kind of plug him plug him somewhere and see how he does. And he's done pretty well um, kind of throughout that. He's, I think he is a right back now at this point, so he may just end up being backup right back, um, which is a bit of a shame for him because he has been quite good. Um, but I think Bellerin's better, and once, especially once he's back to really – full fitness, which may take a while, to be fair. He's been out for a long time. It's a very serious injury. Um, that's going to affect his, that may affect his pace, um, which is one of his best attributes. So um, we'll see how long it takes him to get back to being the Hector Bellerin of old. But I think once that happens, um, he's a better player than Maitland-Niles. So um, he may just end up being a backup right back. We'll see how he feels about that. Um, worst case, we have a good backup right back that if we need to sell him, because he's not happy, um, not getting enough playing time, we'll let you get a good fee for him. Um, and best case, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not really sure what there is to do with that unless Bellerin just comes back to the same player. I guess, like, other case scenario is Bellerin isn't the same player and we have a good right back anyway. So, you know, um, either of those are not bad scenarios and much better than the fullback scenarios we've had in the past. Um, and the current one we have at left back because my God, everyone except hopefully Tierney's good, but Monreal was washed and is now gone and Klasnitz just isn't a left back. So yeah, it's much better. It's much better than many of the fullback scenarios we've had in the past. And moving on to player watch before we wrap up today. Um, I just want to get both your guys' thoughts on a player at your club that's maybe disappointed a little bit over the first four matches of the season, or, or six if you're Liverpool and playing in all the, the pre-season cup things. Um, maybe a little bit more difficult for you, Zach, where Liverpool have won four out of four league games, and you know they, yeah, they, they've just been pretty much perfect, or not perfect, but you know, got those wins. So is there anybody that's disappointed at all at Liverpool? Um, or if not, is, is there anybody that maybe a little bit disappointed you haven't seen more of? Well... No one's disappointed me with, with performances, um, except for when Adrian pretty much boosted it into his own net against Southampton uh, by giving it to Danny Ings. But um, the fact that Cater got injured again before the season started because of the 
because of his national team. Um, that's been the most disappointing thing. Cause this, we were, I think everyone from a Liverpool point of view was really hoping this would be Kate to sort of, you know, settled in um, coming of age season for Liverpool, and it's sort of taken. Hopefully, be back after the international break, so it's only four games. But um, it's take you know it's taken a, a bit of time to, for us to see him again this season, and he just can't seem to get going. It's always like, you know, two steps forward and then three back or whatever. Um, he gets like a run of games, plays really well, and then it'll just he'll just get a tiny niggle. Um, it's always from something innocuous as well. It's, but yeah, this what this one was poor handling from from his national team. So that's been the most most disappointing thing. Uh, no one's really disappointed in terms of performances. I have to I have to say. And Dan, who, who is there any play, player for Arsenal that has disappointed a little bit this season? Uh, yeah, probably Socrates. Um He's not very good. He started last season all right, and then we kind of saw the player we were warned about by Dortmund fans. Uh, he's just not. Just not a good player, but he still kind of has to play because we just don't have very many good players in defense. Um, so, yeah, he's been disappointing, but I'm not sure I'd have anyone else in front of him, which is equally disappointing. But uh, he's not very good, didn't play very well today, um, was not entirely at fault for the first goal because a lot of people were at fault for the first goal, but did not cover himself in glory at all. Um, he's just not a very good player, and it's been disappointing because it would have been really nice if he was actually, you know, good. Good players are nice. Just a quick one on the game today, something I didn't mention earlier. What, what do you think of Bert Leno now, as the, the number one keeper? I, I see a lot of people criticising Leno, um, and you know I've never really had a view on him either way. He's just been fine, but uh, criticised a little bit on the first goal, and there was another a couple of occasions where maybe his uh, you know, saving of shots wasn't the most convincing and, and maybe opened up chances for Tottenham. Do you think that Leno is maybe the number one you want for the long term or is it maybe a, a stopgap and an area that you can improve on in the coming years and windows? Uh, he had a really awful game today, but he was very, very good last season. Um, I didn't really expect him to be very, very good because I hadn't heard good things out of Germany, but he was great last season. So um, it'll take more bad performances than just this one to convince me that he's not good. And ultimately, if, if he turns out to be only an okay goalkeeper that still puts him way down the list of positions we need to address um, in the coming windows. So I think he'll be uh, Arsenal number one for at least a couple more years, unless it really falls off a cliff. All right, well, that's all we've got time for today. There's no match previews to happen as we are coming up to the international break. So we get two weeks off of the Premier League. Um, so just thanks to you guys for joining us uh, today. If you'd like to tell the listeners where they can reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Forster underscore um, for a range of Liverpool and political opinions. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. And you can get me on Twitter at Jack with two N's. You can get the podcast on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. We have a championship show on this channel as well, so check that one out. But just thanks to Zach and Dan for joining us today and thanks you guys for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.